Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Everything in Me. It's your host, Sam, back with another episode. And I have a guest with me on this episode. She can see me. I can see her. We're on Zoom, but you guys won't see us. But um, on this episode, I invited a very, we're going to talk about how we know each other. First of all, that's included in this episode, because I think we need to give the people context. But um, it's going to be talking about how she, as a wonderful, powerful woman, has been able to defy the odds as far as designing her life and her trials, tribulation, being a mother, being a a career woman, being a mentor, especially for me, um, being able to change into multiple different careers and backgrounds, build relationships with people, continue those relationships, um, and just know how to move and shake her way around the world in ways that I'm still trying to figure out. And so I wanted to invite her on as my first guest in this series where she's going to talk a lot more about her background. And you mind if I use your name or do you want to be anonymous? No, no, you can use my name. Okay, Connie. All right, Connie. Okay, Connie. So Connie, can you tell the people, how do we know each other? I don't even remember the first time we actually met. We met at the University of Miami. Yeah, we did. And I'm not sure if you came in as a as an undergrad student helper, but not because working going to school at UM or because we had a special program where our, our, our children, our sisters, our nieces could start working in the summer at the age of 16. It mm-hmm. gave them work experience and it gave us uh, a, a way that we had people to help us during the summer, whether it was clerical work or helping us change things around. But there were so many things in common because I knew your family, but didn't know it was your family. Yeah. And you're the same age as my son. And there was just so many things that just clicked together. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, so, okay. So we're talking about 2007 then. Yeah. Cause I started in 2007, the summer of 2007, but I had been visiting there prior to all of this um, for a while, but I didn't actually like work there until the summer of 2007. And so were you on, you were on the third floor still. I was on the second. I, was, I have never been on any other floor. Really? I was, for 19 years, I was in the same office. Wow. For 19 years, yes. Oh my gosh. And to some people that sounds like I was stagnant, but the position kept growing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I had to keep up with the position. Right. So, you know, it it wasn't a a thing where I'm sitting there and getting all moldy and stale. I had to grow with the position. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. And it's funny because- that happened with me too, with my role now, it's like, wow, 10 years is a long time. But then I've had two title changes and promotions and it's it's dynamic. It's not like it's been the same in and the, going, the same one technically going out. But okay, so 2007, I was still in high school, still a baby. And I remember just how, at least for me, how easy it was. Like we just clicked instantly. Like I didn't have any issues with, you know, striking up a conversation, whether it be work-related or non-work-related, was very easy. And then also, I mean, the main component was the fact that we had so many things in common with my cousin and, and your son, and he was working as well. And so I was your able sister. to- sister? Yeah, yeah. So we were get. so it was very easy to like, 
get to know each other and like interact with each other. But I think through time, especially when I started working there full time um, after graduate after graduating, um, it was easier for me to to view you on a different level because I saw more of you because I was trying to get my way in and and really like solidify you know um, kind of like me having a real job and like real responsibilities and figuring it out. Um, what's funny is that. I don't think you know this, but I used to duck off in your office all the time. Like not because I had something to do, but like, I literally was like, I need to escape. <laughs> Connie was my, um, confessional sometimes where when that door would close, there were things, there were tears, there were all sort of explosions about different things of just trying to figure out like what's next, what's happening, what's the lay of the land. Like you were definitely a huge, huge contributor to keeping my head level and not letting me kind of like sink under the pressures that were there as far as just trying to, I don't know, do everything for the first time. Like it was my first job. I had done retail before. So it's not like I had any context of things aside from my sister, but having to take that on full time was really stressful. But going back to you, so 19 years in just that role, give me a little bit more context or the people listening a little bit more context about your background and kind of where you grew up. How did you get to being there? Well, I grew up in New Jersey, mm -hmm. and I was married to a federal officer. He was a U.S. Marshal, and we were sent here. This will date me, so I'm not going to say how long ago, but we were sent here by the U.S. government. Even though we were Black, he spoke fluent Spanish. And at that time, I would say, oh, because this is more than 25 years ago, it was hard to find someone who was Black who could speak fluent Spanish. Right. And so they needed him for infiltration of certain things. Mm -hmm. So it, I think I stayed here with him being married for seven years. And then he went to California and I was supposed to follow. And I went, no, I'm not. And <laughs> I stayed. And because my parents had moved from New Jersey by then to another state, I didn't like where my sister had moved in New Jersey. And I knew I didn't like shoveling snow. Or driving in it. So I right. just said, I'm going to just stay here and make a life for my two older sons. Right. And that's what that's what I that's what I did. In New Jersey, um it was harder, even though the the laws and and I would say um obvious prejudices were not uh that uh, paramount there, but it was still harder for women to work mm -hmm. certain places. When I came to Miami, my first job, and I stayed there for 23 years. Oh, my God. So, you, you know, I'm a loyal employee. I'm going to say that. I'm a guess. loyal employee. Now, there I was promoted and promoted and promoted. When I left there, I was an assistant vice president. Had started as not a teller, but I worked on a teller line. So I, I came in as entry level and mm -hmm. with classes and, and promotions and doing certain things, I, I moved, I moved up in, in, in the bank. So it was, it was easy to, to advance. It was, uh, well, it wasn't easy, but it was easier to advance, but we couldn't as you know, female employees, we couldn't wear uh, pants. So no, as they would say, no trousers allowed. Wow. So we had to wear uh, uh, skirts or dresses, especially because I was on the teller line. They gave us uniforms, which was um, a blessing because you didn't have to worry about 
right. buying extra clothes and you knew what you were going to wear every day because today was uh the the jumper with the white blouse and the bow tie and the and the and the jacket tomorrow will be the skirt and whatever and the year that they decided to let us wear uh trousers as they called them <laughs> it was like you know um we were given freedom you know so right. it was yeah so th things were were different in fact um women were not allowed to be pregnant and work out in the front in in the public side that's crazy. Maybe not every bank was yeah. that way. Maybe not every public entity was that way. But the bank I worked for, which was one of the major banks in Miami, that was their way, and and that's what other banks were. Um, were they were following suit. I mean, everybody was on the same um, wavelength, so to speak. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about being a mom, a single mom, transitioning from a marriage to being a single mom, figuring out Miami. Obviously, you're not born and raised like myself. So what did that what did that in turn either do to you or make you think about or how did you how did you navigate? How do you get through that? Oh man. And I didn't have a village. I yeah, that's another thing too, because you're saying your sister, you know, your your you know, your family's not from here. So it's just no, and I I think one one thing was that when I was divorced, one son was 13, the other one was 10. Mm. And so they could somewhat you know, navigate on their own. I could, you know, send them to school. I could go from way down West Kendall to downtown Miami and not worry too much about them. Uh and um they would come home and do their homework and and I and they had set things to do. At a certain time you knew that you had to put on the entree. And then you know probably I would do the side dishes. So when I got home, it wouldn't be long um to um to eat. And in between that, um depending on the time of the year they would have to have um, football practice because they first played Pop Warner football and then they played um, high school football. Pop Warner, I had a, a, a deal with a parent that a parent took them all and I brought them all back home. Okay. That, 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 that was easier for me. In the summer, uh, it was a little different. Neither one of them actually went to summer school. So they had, they were at home or they would spend uh, maybe a month with my parents in another state or the other 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 paternal grandparents in uh, back back in New Jersey. So they so that was so it was easy. It it, it was hard because um, it was the daycares and after school cares were a uh, care for um, people of certain ages in certain areas. It just just didn't exist. So, oh, okay. you know, so I had to worry about it a little bit. Yeah, they were latchkey kids. Yeah. You know, and, and, but, you know, you had neighbors that, so I maybe I should say, yeah, I had a semi because we had neighbors who knew what time I got home and where my kids were supposed to be. Uh, okay. And yes, did neighbors tell on them? Yes, they did. Yep. We had, I had neighbors growing up like that too. Once you grew up in a, in a, a community, if you will, um, and you have the regulars, not the like randos who come in and out. They kind of, you know, eventually you get to know who, especially as a kid, I, I was familiar with playing on the streets. Like we would go outside all day, come home right before it's too dark. And that would be, you know, our entertainment. 
you yes. know, parents didn't really like stay home and play with us or anything like that. It was more like we found entertainment. We found the neighborhood kids and hung with the neighborhood kids and they, I knew their parents, they knew our parents, you know, and stuff like that. So I get it. And the thing was that it didn't matter who you were. Um, your child was a neighbor knew who your child was, and, right. and, and, and in fact, my house was called the Kool Aid House because <laughs> I had a large yard, and um, so the kids would go in there and they would play football. Well, yeah, some there'd be some girls sometimes, but um, they would play football. They would do this in the summer when I'd be home. There'd be loads of them, and yeah, what's the most inexpensive drink for a bunch of hungry yep. and thirsty boys? Kool Aid, you know. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and and I was known for the woman who knew how to make ice cream, because oh, nice. yeah, in the summer, you know, I put the garage door up, and and I had learned that you know from my grandmother how to you know put um, the ingredients in a churn and then whatever. So it, it got to be the point where I would dare my kids to tell anybody we were making ice cream because everybody would be out there waiting for the end product. You know, yeah. So, yeah, there was pressure behind that. Well, for yes. Connie, y'all, um, Connie and I have developed a very connected relationship over the years because I think I, I personally have gravitated towards you because I felt like it was you're very easy to talk to. And I felt like he always allowed me to have the space to figure things out on my own, but was never afraid to give me her two cents. And even with the two cents, it was like, I can back that up. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just saying this to, to fear-based warn you, but I know what I'm talking about because of what I've been through. And that's the last thing I want for you. And I've always appreciated that because I talked about this in other episodes of just like the mothering instinct. She definitely has that because she's, you know, I'm still a baby in her eyes. Um, but, you know, it's always appreciated that there's someone, she's always looked out for me, always looked out for me. So some of these stories I've actually never heard and I didn't give her any context as far as this is an idea I came up with yesterday. Connie, are you on board? She's like, yep, it's you, Sam. And then here we are today. So I'm learning a lot of these things just like you are, because we just, we've almost for the most part focused on the now or our relationship, you know, as things have happened and we've just dealt with them as we come and reference every, every now and then. So hearing more about just like the, the, the context or the details of your life is really interesting because I know you from when I've known you, but not necessarily like previous to this, what that life was like for you. So tell me a little bit more about navigating. Okay. You have small boys, you're trying to figure out, you know, what's next. Did you think career-wise, were you trying to be in the banking world forever? Or were you thinking like, I want to do something different? How did you, how did you navigate things? Like, you know, you, they're growing up. Do you want them to go to college? You know, do you want to go to college? Do you want to figure out what's next? Do you want to figure out, you know, maybe moving to another state, another location? Because as far as I know, once you've landed, you've never left. No, I never, I never left Miami. In fact, it, it was, I had too many true friends. Mm -hmm. So that was a, another thing. And mm -hmm. where I grew up in um, New Jersey, it, it had gone through an economic downturn. One is because the, the small town I lived in, one right after, and so this is really going to date me, uh, right after the, right after um, Dr. King was killed in New York, uh, no, when he was killed in Tennessee, the things happened in New York, then after that in Newark, and then in my town. 
and so I um my that was an I guess another thing that mo that was momentum for my parents to say we left the the south and what they did when everybody else was migrating from the south they left also and went up into the northeast to get better jobs because there was there were no jobs right so they had you know not that they had made a fortune that wasn't it but my father had gotten work and he was a hustler he had a job with uh with a a chemical company and then he had a, a cleaning service and that's the reason I said that he was a hustler. So mm -hmm. he, they bought property. And then after I graduated from high school and then my sister, and then I got married, they just decided they were, and, and with like with the riot um, in our town and my parents, next door neighbor, their nephew was a policeman. And, for, and this is something that, that I only learned about three years ago was that the the reason that there was trouble in the area is because a motorcycle gang of another race decided to come and they went straight to the projects and that's what the this area was, was called was it was it was called the projects i mean that was in the that was in the proper name it wasn't just like you know referring it to it was it was called the part of the name was was the pro projects mm -hmm. and uh they were chased away but uh, the young policeman decided that he was going to snap back and 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 wave his gun and say stuff to the kids that were. And when I say kids, I'd say anywhere from 15 up to 21, 22 and say things. Well, I don't I really don't know what transpired other than the fact that um, five of them were convicted of his murder. Oh. And his his aunt and uncle lived next door to my parents. And from that day on, they never said another word to my parents. Be, you know, they sold their house and that was, as and I don't know if you've heard this term, it's called white flight. Yeah. But they, they became part of the white flight. Uh -huh. And so they, they left the town. The other thing that helped to um, turn it around economically in a, in a negative way was they put a large mall. This is the beginning of malls. Maybe like 10, 10 miles outside of town. It had everything, all the large anchor stores and the town dried, the, the downtown area dried up. It used to be on, on um, Thursday nights, the, the store stayed open to 9 p.m. and everybody went downtown. I mean, parents, kids and all. Mm -hmm. And you know, even if you didn't have a quarter and a quarter could do a lot back then, you'd walk up and down you know, the street in order to go to different stores and just, just look around. But the town just sort of dried up. So I had no, there was nothing, no, no incentive to come back to New Jersey. The weather yeah. was, was, was a you know factor. And let me just say this because all the things that you and I talk about, we talk about career, we talk about relationships, we talk about family. Yeah. You, you never knew that I was, in class, okay, I'm going to say I was in class when they announced the the killing of John F. Kennedy, mm. and everybody, you know, just you know, we're we're young and you know, we all start you know crying. Uh, half of some of my um, classmates and a lot of my relatives that were on the bus and they went on the on the march on Washington way back then. You know, I knew when the civil rights. Um, Act was you know was signed and and all, 
Although I, after leaving North Carolina, I started all my schooling in New Jersey. I'd always gone to an integrated school. I've always lived in, a, then lived in an integrated neighborhood. I didn't go to an integrated church at first, but after the, some of the laws changed, then, you know, then it, it, it I wouldn't say it wasn't integrated, but it, because you would have people here and there and no matter what church, but it wasn't like, like 50, 50 or, you know, 25, 75. So it wasn't, so it wasn't like that, but yeah, these are, these were things that um, I watched go into effect. And right. so now um, at being retired from the university and I help a, a couple people with their nonprofits is the fact that I have lived for a few generations and seen things happen that I can give a perspective and that they had never even, well, they read about it and they thought about it and it was just something that I, you know, I I lived I lived through. Whether I was too young to take part, but I knew it was going on around me, or I I actually was able to take part in certain things. You definitely have aged well because just your demeanor isn't one that to me has ever been like, oh, you carry you carry the weight of a certain generation that you you witnessed or you've experienced. I know that obviously adapting, especially for, you know, more mature women like yourself can be challenging, but I've always seen you as innovative with the times. You may not have chosen to, to use that as your natural, but you know how to navigate. You, you've never to me seem like Connie's just struggling. You know, I've, I've come to you for help of like, how do I get, how do I fix this? How do I do that? So I've never looked at you as like, oh man, she's very limited. I've always, I've always seen you as like, always awe and awe at the fact that like, even, even when we talk about business and, you know, doing your business, working with nonprofits and all those sort of things, how you've been able to like pull context of just your experiences and um, the networks, you know, and the like bubbles that exist that I'm not even familiar with. And I've been working with entrepreneurs for 10 years that I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. It, to me, it's so enlightening because it doesn't necessarily put an age on anything. It's really about your mindset. And just the fact that you've never allowed those circumstances to kind of block you or stop you from being relevant. You know, everything is really just added value and added value and added value. And that's something I always want to emulate because I feel like there's no limits because it only adds additional context. But the area in which I think I'm always interested in is how being a part of so many different generations, how has that shaped you? How has that made you look and say, okay, I'm going to let go of this or I, you know what, I'm going to add this kind of new, you know, behavior or this new way of doing things, or, you know, how are you able to kind of navigate life knowing that, Hey, I knew how it was done before. I know how it's done now, but I'm going to choose to do X, Y, and Z, whether it be raising the kids. Cause I mean, you have two sets of two different age groups, you know, similar to me, like having a sibling who's, you know, 18 years, 19 years older than me, you know, there is a big gap in how you raise them, how you interact with them, how, you know, the, the, the things that they have going on, you know, how do you, how do you choose like who you want to be and letting go? Are is it easy for you to let go of certain behaviors or, you know, thought processes, or is it, you do have a, a hard time kind of letting go? Like I rather do it how we used to do it than now. As you're asking me this, I'm analyzing myself. There's a lot of things I don't resent or, or resist letting go. 
Yeah, and then a lot of things I try to embrace. There's one thing that you probably didn't know that I sort of realized myself about three or four months ago. I think, well, I was going to retire at the end of last year, but I had to retire for health reasons in 2018, the end of 2018. So 2019, I was all over the place traveling. I was seeing relatives here, there, and whatever. Part of the reason was, and it was not a, a, a pretty thing, I lost a lot of relatives in 2019. Well, it started with my mother at the end of 2018, and then it went on to to other to other relatives. But I was traveling all over the, the, the country. And then uh, it, it, and I had planned to do two things as supplemental income in 2020. And then we were hit by COVID. Yeah. And then, so everybody was relearning how to do things and what have you. But now 2021, we were getting back out a little bit. 2022, I kind of lost myself for a minute. And I did some research looking up just things. And I realized my identity was tied to my job. Yeah. And so when I left my job, I, I left my identity. I have all these clothes. Mm -hmm. I have tons of shoes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, there were, you know, and I was used to going to all these events. Mm -hmm. And just the other day, I wanted my son to take a, a couple photos I had and see if he could um, take away the background because I wanted to use me and put it in something now for my current business. And he's looking, he's fl flipping through and he goes to me, what are you doing with these two basketball players? <laughs> and he, it was a, he knew that they were in the same spot I was in. I'm like, oh, they were there, and they were they were using the room temporarily. And when they moved out, we were moving our things in. And I said, so I was just standing there, and I said, they let me take their photo. And you know, trust me, at this moment, I can't even remember their names. <laughs> One of them, I, I, he was telling me, you know, he was he was an all star. He was this and that. He he said, I never saw these pictures before. Well, you never <laughs> listened to me. <laughs> but I had those pictures, you know, for 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 at least five years, you know, going on. But that was one thing. I was at judicial receptions. I was at this cocktail party. I was at that cocktail party. And yes, I have. Um, if people say you want to go somewhere, I didn't have to go running to the store. I mm -hmm. could go in the closet and I could either mix and match, or I had the the right dress to wear. So all those things just sort of stopped. So yeah. that's where, you know, that's where my identity was, was going from meeting to meeting and having, um, I, and I, I don't want to like say that, that they put me, that the kids, but the kids, I was there, I was their school mom. Mm -hmm. And, and like I, I told my daughter when she would say things about people, I said, I never knew that a lot of young people, once they graduated from undergrad, they had nowhere to go. Yeah, I said I don't care how how rich they were. Right. Their parents were getting divorced, right. or they were selling the houses. They were downsizing, and they oh. were just on their own. Right. And right. I said it, it did not matter how much money they had. Yeah. And so a lot of times they would come in my office, and it was because they wanted nurturing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, I've gotten, I've gotten used to doing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, and all, uh, I will tell you that most of them who were, who were regulars mm-hmm. were still, t- I, I stay in touch with them to this day, you know? Um, so it's, it, it, that was one thing. I think that's been the hardest thing. Divorce? No, that wasn't, it, you know, why, why did you say that? either time. Pardon me. Why do you say that? Because Connie's been married, what, twice? Yes. Let's just put it like that. Um, you gravitate to what you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I, I, I look, well, I'll put it like this. I like men that look like they just stepped off the cover of GQ. The best of the and best. They, and, and they come with a ton of baggage. Yeah. But I was young and I didn't know it the first time. The second yeah. time there were lots of red flags, mm-hmm. but um, they talked a lot of Bible. Oh, and I believed it. Ah, okay, different kind of game. And yeah, yeah. So they knew they knew how to. I, I said, you know what? I I'm I'm better. I I can I can manage. Yeah, it, it may not be something I wanted to do. Well, with you 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 didn't come from a single parent household. No, no, I didn't. You're like, were you any of your aunts or cousins or anything from a single parent household? I'm gonna say no. Hmm. So that I, was I, that I, was I, from you for you though, because yeah, I, the only single parent in, that I can say in my family was my grandfather's sister. Okay. And that comes with a story because I think I even told you that 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 you know when doing family research, you know, um, uh, it started with just doing ancestry DNA, mm-hmm. and then I met a cousin that I never met before, and she was doing it also, and uh-huh. we pulled we pulled our resources together of all the things we came up with, and my father's sister was was a beautiful beautiful woman, mm-hmm. and she had been. Um, like happens in the South and um, she was, she was raped. And uh, that was the reason that our cousin, you couldn't tell him from, you know, a, a you know, a, a Caucasian man. And as soon as she turned 18, I don't know how old she was to be honest. When he was born, she left, the, she left and never went. She went back when she was like in her late eighties. Oh. She didn't want to be there anymore because of the, you know, yeah. what was what was happening. So she's the she's the only she was the only one to be honest. Oh, and wow. she did get married, but of course not to the, the young man's father. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. And he was raised by my great grandmother be, because of you know that. So yeah. Okay. 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 And so that means that you were kind of a a trailblazer. Oh no, I was the black sheep. There's that that's the word. <laughs> that that's the word. Well, yeah. Did, did that make sense? Because you and I always connect because I was definitely the black sheep in my family too, set to the outskirts of like, uh, what do you need? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, and, and I okay, uh I was the first one who took a plane ride. Mm. And my aunt before she passed. She was 87 and oh. she said before she dies, she was going to fly on a plane. And yes, she did. Okay. Oh, yeah. And one of my younger cousins who lived in the area in North Carolina, 
uh, where my aunt had relocated back to. She flew with her up uh, up to New Jersey and back. And so that was my aunt's claim to fame. Now she she didn't stop driving until she was 93. Wow. And the only reason she stopped driving was because her car had broken down for the last for one time uh, the last time. And my cousins who were not, not she never had children. She was married, uh, but she never had children. They told me, tell your brother, do not fix her car anymore. <laughs> and before they could even fight about it, then she fell and broke her hip, you know? And oh. yeah, so, but that was the only reason that she stopped driving at the age of 93. And she had four boyfriends Ooh. and I couldn't get one. Wait, and they would come to her house and they would bring her stuff. What? And leave money. Life. I'm sorry. This is probably not the place to say that. But they would. But but she had men who were gentlemen, and yes. because she was couldn't work, and they their pensions were better than hers. Because by then she had lost her. Shut up. Had lost her husband. Um, they would leave. They would leave money on the table. Wow. Wow. I. You know, that's goals. That's definitely goals. She was set up. Okay, so yeah. okay, so you never felt the pressure of being married forever till death do us part? Because your parents were married? Let's put it like this. My first husband passed away about 15 years ago with leukemia, so I didn't kill him. Okay, my second husband, he knew he had to go before I did kill him. Okay. So that may be a joke, you know, that I'm saying it, but no, it was the fact is that I, I I would rather be happy than to be rich. Oh, I love that. And I think that the, all the the negative things I, ha, I I do feel rich. I've been to six foreign countries, uh, you know, and I uh, you know and I was able to walk around and do things. I have um I I have a I think I have a full life, and so I I, I just came back from Europe in November and planning another trip somewhere. I'm not quite sure that I'm ready for Dubai or the Orient yet because it's that's such a long ride. Yeah. But you know, but I'm looking forward to another trip, you know, so uh and they, these may be things that I wouldn't be able to do with a with a husband. I mean, you know, it's like maybe but it would interesting be though, because you grew up in an era where having a husband was like you worth it. You are you're valuable. You know, like you had your life together. And then you've chosen to kind of be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to take that narrative. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do because it makes me happy. Well, it wasn't even that it wasn't even like that. It was because I put my first husband through college mm. and I, you know, sacrificed that. I took classes here and there. The bank had um, tuition reimbursement. I took full advantage of that. Mm. But um my career was taking off without a degree and his wasn't. Mm. So that was part of the, I guess the problem. The other problem was then I just said he looked like he just stepped out of GQ. He was very, very intelligent, but um, you know what they call, how they call Michael B. Jordan corny? Oh yeah. He was corny, but the women just loved him. And so he loved the women in return. And yeah. my motto is, if I ain't the monkey, there ain't no show. And that's okay. it. 
There we go. There we because you know, that's that's, women, that's the real deal. But some women, you know, some are like, well, if you look the other way, or he comes home to me every night. So I don't care what he does in the streets as long as he's home with me every night. Yeah, I care. I care. I care. Nope, not over here. Yeah, not yeah. Here. Yeah, no, I care. No. <laughs> I, I to, to me that because here's what here's what I said to my sons. That type of behavior is very selfish. Yeah. You're not thinking of anyone but yourself. Yeah. You're not thinking of the person in your house that you're hurting. You're not respecting them. You're not respecting yourself. You're not respecting any children that you may have. You're not even respecting that the other person that you're with because you're only giving them a part of you. And even though they, they really don't respect themselves because because they're falling for it and they and they're doing it. And I want to know that that is that's how I saw it. Is that I respected myself too much to stay yeah. in that type of situation. So yeah. yeah, so I make jokes about it. Like I said, if, they, if I'm not the monk, yes, that's really how I feel. But you know, whatever. So, but and yes, they uh, somebody that I that I would like. Um, you know, what, the qualities I like in a man. Yeah, I like a man well dressed. My father was a hustler. My father worked, worked, worked. And I don't know if have, you've ever seen pictures of my dad. I don't think I've seen pictures of your mom, but not of your dad. Oh, well, see, my 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 dad was was the kind of man that he'd walk in the room and all the women would turn around. So, so that's why I said you gravitate to what you know, yeah. and that and that's how it was. But my father worked hard, mm-hmm. and I think that I've instilled that in in my three sons. Yeah, is that you know that um, people would call them company men or, or all kinds of names because they worked hard. They believed in giving their employer um, a fair day's work, and yeah. so those are the kind of things that that I look for. Now, how did I find two men who was intelligent, good looking, and well dressed, but they didn't. But if 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 they had to move two two inches to do something, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> so you know that 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 to me caveat. was really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. That's a caveat. Okay, Connie, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Okay. Thank you all for listening. And I really, really appreciate it. Connie's going to be jumping back in in a minute. Um, if you haven't already, check out everythingandme.com. That's where you'll find kind of a little bit of everything about me, who I am, what Everything in Me is all about. And Everything in Me IG is where you'll find all of the information related to Everything in Me. On there, I'll be posting short videos, content, things like that, what's happening, and previews to different episodes that are coming up. So if you like this series, please, please go ahead and connect with me, but also, you know, subscribe and, you know, let me know what you think about this series. This is something that, again, has come up on a fly, but I feel really excited about it. So Connie's jumping back in. So we can chat some more about her life and kind of how that's evolved and how that's allowed her to be able to be the courageous, upstanding woman that I adore oh so much. And I can't stop but saying amazing things about Connie because she's saved me in so many ways and continues to save me in so many ways. So I definitely appreciate her. Okay, Connie. So let's wrap this up. Okay. 
All right. So, okay. So tell me about kind of the second half, if you will, of starting over, getting married again, having another set of kids again, and raising those kids. What was that like? How, how did you go into it? How did you come out of it? I think the second set, okay, I'm going to use something that I heard on TV. Okay. The first set is like when you make the first couple of pancakes, they come out a little wonky. <laughs> But I think I was better equipped with the second set. Yeah. I wasn't as young. Oh, yeah. man, I'm really not young. <laughs> but I was calmer. Right. And, you know, I things were not as... I'm not going to say they were they were challenging, both financially as well, well as physically. But um, they were, I, I, was, I didn't have the same craziness that I had to do this and I had to do that with them. I think yeah. they flourished a lot better than the uh, than the you know the older two. Right. And as far as it, with, with me, I mean with, with them, uh, I remember because I I signed them up for a school and an elementary school. I would probably pass a hundred schools in Miami Dade County before I got to the school uh, on UM campus. Even yeah. before I worked for UM, they oh. started there. Yeah, I found. Wow, that was uh, my destiny. Yes, so I put I put them there because an attorney that I knew, well, actually handled my first divorce, told me about the school. Just that was like, you know, like many years before I had ever remarried and had other kids. He told me about the school. I did the necessary steps to get them both in, mm -hmm. and it was such a small school, and mm -hmm. it was really maintained more by the parents than it was by Miami Dade County. And it was also in running conjunction with UN. So mm -hmm. it was a small class size and they were doing things that um that kids only did in private schools. Okay. And, which I couldn't afford for them to do. Mm -hmm. So I remembered that they would have reports that would do before I start working at UM, I would put them to bed. And there was a point when my middle son before he met was married he didn't marry until he was man he was he was like in his early 30s and so he uh, he was there and so I would get up I would put the kids to bed and I'd go to bed about 10 o'clock one o'clock in the morning I get up go to Kinko's finish typing their stuff print it up have it bound and then give you know so they would be all sparkly the next day for school you know go home and then you know maybe I get a chance to take an, an hour nap get up and get dressed and take them. Once I started working at UM, they had a print shop and it yeah. would just put them in their class. I walk across campus, have it, uh, have it, you know, printed in color, uh, you know, bound. And so it would be all, you know, shiny and glossy and give it to, give it to them. Those are the things that I, I felt that I didn't have it as a child. You mm -hmm. know, my parents didn't, not that they weren't interested in my education, they didn't have the, the means to do it. Right. And it, right. and and uh, kids were not, you know, kids were, no matter who you were, a lot of things you just didn't do. Yeah. So I I could do things for for my kids to help them. So I I took that as something that I that I wanted to do, and that was to me it was a lot of fun. Okay, that was my next question to you. So, what does motherhood mean to you? Oh, well, that's when, I'm, that's when I'm crazy, you know, is that you don't mess with anything that belongs to me. 
<laughs> and that would be you too. And you know that I would not, you know, I would probably get into a lot of trouble if somebody <laughs> messed with any one of y'all. And and yeah. that's just how how I how I feel. I'm so definitely. I, yeah, I'm I'm very protective. And um and if I could keep everybody in a bubble, I would. I know. I can't. I, I can't do. I can't do that. You know. Yeah. And do you always want to be a mom? When I was younger, I wanted. Um, I wanted six kids. I have four. Okay. But I, and I always said I wanted my own uh, basketball team. <laughs> is what I said. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it, it, but you know, that was like those were like jokes. But yeah. I was known for bringing people's babies home from church. Oh, okay. So you would collect yeah. them. You're like me. Yeah, and I was, and one one young lady. Uh, she allowed me to take her son to North Carolina when my parents went on vacation. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. It, You're the baby whisperer. Yeah. And I always had somebody's child. That and, I didn't know that. And that's, that's definitely me. I'm always with somebody's kids. And one of my cousins, when you asked me about like um, single parents, um, mm -hmm. well, I, I guess I, as I think about it, I guess he, I guess he was. They eventually were married. My one of my cousins um, fathered a child, and he took the child to his mom's house to be raised um, for a little while. Is what he said until they got some place to live and whatever. And he and the mom were married, and then they had another child. Well, the first child lived with them with them with the grandparents until she was out of high school. And the second child lived across the street. With, uh, they had found them, like, and back then, not even uh, a couple would be happy if they rented a house and they had a room and they shared the bathroom and the kitchen. So that's what that's what they were. That's what they did. And they, their second daughter, I stole her. You know, I would always have her. Yeah, and so when I was talking to her older sister, because I, you know, you lose contact with people when you, you move yeah. away to other states and all. Yeah, I um I sent her a picture of the second child. That young lady had never seen a baby picture of herself. Oh wow! Until I sent that photo. So yeah, I and I I always thought about that that I'm always have somebody's child at my that I always had somebody's child. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that who, who would you have been if you didn't have kids? Who do you think you would be? Or where you think you, would you be? If I didn't have kids, I would probably um, be someone like Shelly Chisholm. I would be like always into certain things, mm -hmm. always trying to put things together. Maybe mm -hmm. not I don't think of myself as being politically inclined. Mm -hmm. I want to know everything in politics. I, I don't see myself being there, but I do see myself interfering. If yeah. There's a difference, you know, and, yeah. and but yeah, I, I, I did think about it uh, a few times, but you know, um, and there's one thing that I thought that maybe I would have been um, back in the day they had um, the Ebony fashion fair. And I always want to be an Ebony Fashion Fair model. Oh, okay, okay. I can see that. I always, uh, always thought that. 
high, very stylish, very on point, very much like she is, she is Connie and she is here. And I've always, I've always enjoyed that because age has never defined your, 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 your capability. When I saw you with that swinging ponytail, I was like, I need to get my life together because I am not living properly. Connie is out here in the grocery store, just Rapunzel left and right. Well, let me just tell you that I do not go to the the Home Depot by the Falls or the Publix on 146 unless I have it together. <laughs> I have I have so many potential boyfriends and you know and they say things or they try to get my attention or they follow me and you Election. know and I pretend that I don't know what they're what they're doing. Okay. But I know. But I do that on purpose. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Listen, Connie is not dumb. She's far. She's the gossip queen, but she is not dumb. So, yeah, but yeah, but I, but I, but I like to, I think that if I ever give up on that, I think people would really think there's something wrong with me. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, really, because, um, like, um, the aunt that I said who'd been raped, they mm -hmm. said her granddaughter would say, oh, she would call her mother dear, said mother dear wouldn't go to the corner store. Uh, for a carton of milk without a full, you know, without being, you know, and, and I don't consider myself like very made up, but mm -hmm. I put makeup on so I don't look like I just got up. And so that's how, you know, that's how I, I want, you know, I, I like and you to be. Are definitely a flirt. Definitely a flirt. I've been with you on several occasions, whether it be former, you know, the students or people that you've interacted with. And I'm just like, let me get out of the way because Connie is just putting down and I am very much in the way. Connie is not afraid to make somebody laugh or feel good about themselves. And as soon as they walk away, he could never <laughs> really quick. But, and and I, I, I would go places with my friends and uh, we'd be sitting there and the waiter would come up and say, would you like a glass of wine? And I went, <laughs> no. And he goes, well, the gentleman over there wants to send a glass to your table <laughs> or a bottle to your table. And of course, my friends will say, "Yes, she does." You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but but it, but it's but it's just you know. I think what it what it is is that if I'm somewhere with you, mm -hmm. you're who I'm cool like you and I. I don't mean like a man. You're who I'm with, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, if I if somebody admires the us or scenery, that's fine. But yeah. I'm not going to. But I'm not. But and I will give that kind of respect or that kind of look, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to like um, leave you for abandon me. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've been in situations like that too, and I've actually had one instance where I was actually I was in New York when it happened, and I was there for a five day trip, and damn near day two, homegirl found somebody that she was into it, and for the rest of the trip, she just was like bye, I'm going to hang out with him. And I was left to my own devices, but I'm other than, we never spoke after that, but other than that, like, I'm the same, I'm the same exact way, same exact way. I, you, I was always taught, like you leave who you came with, no yeah. matter, no matter what. And I've been put into some real like sketchy situations because I'm leaving with the person I came with, but I'm, I'm, I'm tried and true just like that too. I don't, mm -mm, I don't do that at all. I don't trust it. No, no, no. And then that that's like disrespectful to you. Like yeah. I don't value you enough that you know, I came with you, but I'm gonna, you know, leave it. I'm with here for someone. another thing. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna gonna be that's taken on by somebody else. 
Yeah, that's shady, big shady. We we definitely share a lot of the similar values. And I think you know, going back to what you were talking about, like this transition of you, you know, going into retirement, coming out of COVID, just, you know, the paranoia that I faced with that as well, too, and just trying to homeschool and trying to finish college and working from home. You know, I moved during the pandemic. There was a lot of relationship was going through hell during the pandemic. It was a lot going on. And so I, I completely understand it's kind of like just thrown to the wolves. Like, how do I reset? How do I figure out who I am? And I think one thing with me is that I've always tried to in some way, shape or form, reinvent myself. And if I look at some of the, my photos, I'm like, who is that person? Because that was what I was absorbing at that moment. You know, that's who I was. Re I was a very reflective of my environment, you know, like whatever yeah. the it is, that's kind of how, what you're going to get versus now. I think now I'm more of like, I'm going to create the environment that I know I need to thrive. You know, like I can't, I'm very, clear about my boundaries. I'm very limited with the people that I interact with. I'm very cautious about the things that I do. I only do most of the things that I want to do or, you know, are good for me and try to surround myself with good people and maintain that because my mental health has, is a direct, like, um, it's cause and effect, you know, for me, like if my house is shambles, if I, if I look like crap, I'm going to feel like it. it's just immediate, like, you know, reaction towards all of that. And I think one of the the scariest parts of this being like maybe going through depression and feeling alone and feeling divided from your, you know, people around you is like, how do I have enough strength to pick myself back up? And I think for both of us at different times, you know, I've definitely felt like hearing from you reminded me like, you're going to be okay. Like there are people who still love you. There are people who still root for you that don't see you how you are right now that yeah. you know, you're come on the other side. It doesn't mean that this is forever. Cause sometimes when you go into them spells, you're like, Ooh, this feels like I could get real comfortable. Like <laughs> this feels yeah. like okay, that's it from now on. What's the point? But one thing's for sure. Like I told uh, my partner the other day, I said, you know, only I can get myself out of whatever I'm in. And if I don't feel like I have the strength to do that, that's the scariest part. You know, like giving advice or rooting somebody on or supporting them or whatever, that's great. That's valuable. But if I don't feel like I have the strength to like get myself out of a hard place, I don't know what will. I mean, yeah, God, but I got to make the, the intentional decisions. I got to be proactive. I got to see the signs. I got to be, you know, intentional about the things that I do that make me happy, that make me feel good, you know, the content and you know, you've been there as I've tried different ideas or different environments and even partners and everything in between. So you've seen me kind of just trying to figure things out and trying to get to the space. And with everything in me, it's been a huge part of me to be able to be like focusing on positivity, focusing on good energy, good vibes, being intentional about the content on the internet that we consume and that we, yeah, you know, yeah. and then also like, I think something you probably experienced and even me, cause I left, you know, <clears throat> the department where we both shared, where we first met the, the, the fizzling out of the friends. And this yeah. is air quotations, the friends, the colleagues, the peer for every holiday, how you kids doing, what's going on with you. The fizzling out of those people really set a major, cause that's where I would say, quote unquote, I grew up. Like that was my first real job, my first real responsibility, my first real title, real expectations in life. And coming out of that and going into another space, I really saw like, 
who was really for me. Cause you know, I would come back. I would come back, you know, now in this new role, I would come back, visit everybody. I would make the effort. I would try to maintain the relationship. And over time I realized like, mm -mm, there, that was then that was, that was why you were there. But now that you're gone, there is no, there's no connection. There's no cause for, for, you know, you guys engaging at all. And I think yeah, you yeah. Really that as well too. Like even doesn't matter how many years nobody's will, not everybody's willing to maintain a relationship with you. No, no, and you're and you're right. And the one thing that I found out after I retired, uh, and it was like, so I retired in at the end of the semester, but it was the middle of the school year. So, mm -hmm. and my students would come in in the fall and graduate in the spring. So mm -hmm. in the spring, that there was always a graduation party. I didn't know they had one, and I wasn't invited, knew anything about it. So a former student um called me because his mother wanted some information and he told me about the party and and he said but i didn't go because uh he he was working his job was out of town and was you know was, he didn't want to just come down for that so i said i wasn't invited and he goes you know why and i go why and he goes this is my opinion he said because it would be your show and not your replacement show Mm -hmm. Nor would it be your former boss's show. Yeah. That's what everybody there knew you for years and years yeah. and years. And you would take you would take the shine away from everybody else. And I said, I never took it like that. So it, I was momentarily like hurt that I didn't know right. if I didn't want to go. Right. But I was hurt. But then when he said that, I go, well, you're right. It's because yeah. people want to know what you're doing. And that's yeah. not that, that wouldn't be the focus and all. Yeah. So like yes, I do go and visit the people I used to work with on that on the floor, not in my department, but the people I would lunch with or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we get together like you and I would get together and mm -hmm. all. And but I will tell you what they don't want me to do. They don't want me to get involved in anything with the work. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were because they were quick to tell me that things changed. Yeah. And all, you know, so hey, I know, I know where, I know where my boundaries are, you know? Right. So. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And you know, it's such, that's such a great perspective because I never thought about that. Like, you know, we, I think we're both similar in a sense that like how we've operated with work and stuff like that is that we're very hands on. We're very much the go to people. We're very much, I will figure it out. I, yes. I I know the system very well. I know who to talk to. I'll call them up. I have a relationship with them. We're the get stuff done girls. We're the, the, the girls who make sure that at the end of the day, you know, first one there, last one out, never complain. You know, it is what it is. I, I take pride. We take pride in what we do and we don't like to have acid and we make sure that we do our best and it makes, it makes us feel accomplished. And it also reminds us like we are capable of anything. I can't tell you how many times that, you know, either we're leaving late or, you know, trying to get there real early, even though we're leaving late, you know, that's just normal. And I think it can being that, you know, having that sort of mentality or having that reputation comes with that same sense of quote unquote resentment of like, you're not falling back and you're not taking it easy. And when you do end up deciding to leave, it's this overwhelming sense of like, that's not fair. Like, why would we want you here? Cause yeah. now, no, no longer, you know, we're not operating that same like high functioning, you know, way where you're always on top of everything, getting stuff done, the bare minimum showed up. So you can't come and, you know, look, make them look bad if you will.
Yes, and now when you leave, there are two people doing your job after you leave. Yep. And, you know? Yep. A hundred percent. And I and I think for me, you know, even just you talking about your whole career thing. I mean, I'm just starting out, if you will, in my career, but I'm very much attached to it. Like I think I've I've definitely felt very, very much like my career has defined me in, in many different ways where I'm like, I need my career in order to feel as though I'm contributing to the world. Yeah. You know, it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm giving in something, I'm supporting something, I'm doing something good. And I think the thing too, that we're very aligned with is the fact that the relationships we're not necessarily, it's not really about the work itself, like the tasks related to the work. It's the relationships that we built, the, the contacts that we know, the, the, the engagements we've had with quality people or just really enjoyable people or the impact that we've created in actual people's lives that matter to me more than anything else. Like the task, that's one thing, but just the idea of like, what I'm doing is important because it's impacting Joe Schmo or yeah. Mary Sue. Like that, me, that that's where I think I'm most attached to and tied to. And I feel the most pride in is just knowing that I'm doing something that's impacting their lives in particular. Because like you said, it means so much to them. Sometimes they don't have family. They don't have friends. They don't know the way, the way around in life. I started when I was the same age as them, if not younger than a lot of the, the individuals who attended. And yeah. Then I grew up there with them. And now I'm starting to get into the age where, I mean, you know, I was never really like them where I was partying all the time or I was careless about things. That wasn't really my, 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 my deal. And I was always trying to figure out how can I do better? Like I need to run away from this sort of behavior. I want to, you know, do a different behavior because it's not working out. Like I was always a little bit different, but now talking to them and just hearing how naive they are, or, you know, I had a, I had someone I knew that I just felt like their relationships with their parents is another thing too. Some of their parents are so connected and they feel as though their parent is the only one to guide them in life. And you know, me and my situation at home and yeah. moms and my dad, how I'm not attached to them in any way, shape or form. And I'm like, you have to find your own voice in life. Like if you solely depend on someone else who's already lived their lives, you're going to struggle really bad because that context is different. The information that they're using is different they won't always be able to be there for you and you won't always be there, be able to be there for them. And I think you understand that, you know, getting four kids raised, you understand like you can't be there for all of them. You can't be that best friend for all of them. You at moments. Yeah. But not thinking thin through and through, they have to find their own voice. They have to make their own mistakes. They have to figure it all out in some way, shape or form. And I think for the students in college and that whole thing, coming out of high school of the day to day and then going into the like, see you when I see you, maybe holidays, maybe not. Um, it's a big culture shock of like holding on to what they've known. But some of them, you know, you know, some of them come in and they're like, if if I don't make it, nobody else in my family or my legacy or my lifetime will, you know, yeah. require that I make it. And I think I've, I've absorbed a little bit of that being a, you know, the first born American and, you know, having immigrant parents, it's this idea, like, if you don't make it, what was all of this worth? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what did we do wrong? Like, come on, you know, so that pressure is on you as well too. But I think through and through, at least for you and I, I think there's things I found out, like I said, even in this conversation, but also things that make complete sense to me, just how we carry ourselves, how we view ourselves, 
the fact that we're not afraid to compare us. We don't compare ourselves to other people or where we've come from. It doesn't, we don't feel limited by certain things. It may be hard as hell, but yeah. it doesn't mean like it's an obstacle that we're not going to still attempt or do, you know, we may be like, girl, you pushing it, but girl, you still going to do it. You know, regardless of the, the difference in maturity level, um, and I, I think I definitely appreciate that because it's, it's made me feel like I'm not alone. You know, it's made me feel like, okay, I'm not crazy because you know, my immediate family, they don't understand. They don't always understand. And they're definitely not at my level, you know, and it's also scary because it's like, am I supposed to be like them? Is that what's supposed to happen? Should I just go back and do the bare minimum and just get by? Or should I continue to try to do what I feel like is right for me, you know, and that's, that's the scary part, but you've definitely solidified and remind me that like, no, you're where you're supposed to be. Don't, don't look back. Don't look over. Just keep going. Don't let anything stop. You know, don't let anyone take your sparkle from you. Yeah. Tell them to put on glasses. If they can't take it, tell them to put on glasses. I used to try to dim my daughter's sparkle and I went, no, it's their problem. Mm -hmm. Let her shine. Mm -hmm. that's what and I had to pull back and now what you know within reason because sometimes she's ridiculous you know but <laughs> within reason but yeah let her let her sparkle and that's why I say to you no mm -hmm. don't 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 dim yourself just to please somebody else because they can't take it you know no yeah. 100% that's definitely that's that's extremely important and I think I think everything in me and the account and just me taking on this new endeavor and just this new mindset and kind of making it like my live and breathe die for kind of thing has brought me and you closer because I think just knowing like we can read each other even though we haven't seen each other what since pre-pandemic yeah when we went out to lunch or, or like a late late lunch early dinner yeah like we well we haven't hung out we've seen each other yeah yeah but we haven't hung out we haven't sat down in person we talk and stuff like that every day now but I think just the concept of like having that little, that the little piece or nugget in the world where, you know, you're going to be validated. You're going to be loved. You're going to be supported. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be reminded that your trauma is not always your trauma. Sometimes it's somebody else's trauma. You know, you're going to be reminded that, you know, what you do matters, what you say matters, who you are matters that, you know, at least from my end, you know, I always love you, you know, and I always care about you and I can't wait to, we finally hang out because we're overdue for that. But when yeah. we do, you know, it's trouble, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I definitely appreciate you, you know, and I always try to let you know and remind you because I'm a big firm believer, like, especially if the messaging comes in my to my head, I have to deliver the message. Like I can't just let it sit on me of like, mm, they, they know how I feel about them. I'm a big believer in just like, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you for being who you are. And one thing about Connie, she's always moving and grooving. She is, she's got stuff to do, place to go. I have to pencil myself in sometimes. That's why we haven't hung out for three plus years. <laughs> well, like yesterday I had two computers going because I was doing two webinars at the same time. <laughs> Booked it busy. Always. But I don't want my brain to atrophy. Yeah. Know? So, uh, you know, I'm taking classes and, you know, and, you know, stimulating myself that way, you know, but it, they, they just came on at the same time then fortunate enough to have two computers that I could turn on simultaneously, you know, and, yep. and, and all. Yeah, you definitely are very active. And I, and, and just thinking about, because I do, you know, I can't wait to get that part of my life where 
I'm not tied to anything in particular or a job or career or whatever. And I can be flexible, but I don't think that many people get into that state of mind or get to have that conversation around like, what do you do? Like they say, oh, you travel, you volunteer your time. But it's, not, I mean, when you go from like constant, you know, um, responsibilities and, and places you have to be and maybe a little bit longer from the one place you had to be and expectations yeah. and emails and calls and all that sort of stuff to just whoop, nothing. I don't think volunteering and traveling is going to really give you enough stimulation. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No. It's nowhere, there's no, there's nothing to do. Like where's, where's my purpose? Like where's my point in all this, you know? And I know you have kids and you go visit them and interact with them, but that's still their lives, you know? Yeah. And not mine. I want right. my, I want my own life. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think, I think just having that and just trying to figure that out is a whole nother like transition of like, okay, now what? Because like you said, you never intended it to be this way. It wasn't like you intended to retire at the time that you did. It was health. And so it was an urgency. And I, I honestly, I think that was the best thing you could have done because again, that was choosing you. Like you're not afraid yeah. of you. And I and I love that because I'm always an advocate of like, you don't feel good. You're not in the right mind. You you go choose you. And I had an instance um, when I was working on the third floor and I had told my supervisor at the time, that I was like, you know what? I'm not feeling like myself today. Like I have like a gray fog. Like I'm just, it's, I'm really struggling today. And I remember her coming to me and sitting down and like crouching with me. It was like, yeah, when that happens, you just push through, but you don't need to go home. We still have stuff to do. And I think that was one of the worst things that she could have done because I looked it up to her as like, wow, this is a woman who's managing me. Cause it was the first time I was over with a female and yeah. she managed so much and was responsible for so much. And I even like was there for her and her family and for her to basically like ignore and not support, like obviously a mental health issue. And, you know, maybe she didn't necessarily know at the time, but this concept of like, we have to be superheroes. We have to figure everything out. We have to keep pushing, even if we don't got it. She just reaffirmed that. And I, I always in some way, shape or form resented that because I felt like that doesn't feel right. If I'm telling you, I don't got it. Why aren't you not believing me? Yeah. You know, why aren't you not hearing me say, I don't have, I'm not going to perform well under these circumstances because I'm just not there. I'm just not there. But for you to know, like, I'm not going to take any extra inch or even, even though I am loyal to this role and you've done a lot of things that were overlooked, not necessarily counted, you know, yeah. did, really have the the payout it was supposed to or recognition it was supposed to but to know like okay hold on I got to take care of me and y'all gonna have to figure it out I love that because it's just a reminder and a reaffirm that at the end of the day like we have to take care of ourselves we have to prioritize ourselves we have to make sure that we're okay to last not only for ourselves but for our families our communities our loved ones you know because I think it's very easy for us to be like I'm okay I'll figure it out take a couple days off I'll be back no, it's not worth it. I'm already, I've already put in my time. I've already, you know, done all of that. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. You're, you're right. And that's a very dangerous thing to force someone to stay working when they're not well. Right. You know, and it could have been something physical and you may not be here to tell us about it now because it was something that, no, you just got to, you know, bite your lip and keep going. You know, that, that's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because stress kills. Yes. 
in more ways than yeah, and and sometimes you don't even realize that it's a stress induced, you know, problem yeah. that you have. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of stress induced things, and I think now is because I'm a, I'm definitely a Googler of like, okay, what do I have now? Um, and that's one of the first things that comes up now is self care. Yeah, like you know, how do you fix this self care? You, you, you've yeah. gone too far. You're not taking care of yourself. And that's why you're in this predicament. That's why your eyes t- twitching, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, oh my, oh, my chest was doing like this, yeah. you know, because, yeah, yeah. yeah. The stress yeah. gave me palpitations, yeah. Right. And you don't even recognize, like, how your body is retaining that stress. It's, like, yeah. literally telling you, I can't do this. Like, you think you can do it, but I my, my body's saying no. Yeah, it's, it's a, a major, major, like, issue and I think also in our you know our our demographic it's very easy and there's a lot of invisible um, pressures and expectations and things that people overlook when it comes to the sacrifices that we make or the responsibility that we have to take care of ourselves maintain ourselves you know knowing like I I don't have a, a cushioned place to live in if it doesn't work out you know, I think about that all the time. Like, it's very much, you figure it out for the rest of your life. Like, that's it. There's no come back home. I hope you, there isn't that. And yeah. I always want that for my kids. Like, I want them to have a legacy in which, you know, it, whether it be real estate or it'll be a home or it'll be a couple hundred dollars to get me to the next space. I would love that. And I think that pressure is also another stress that we think about. And also, I'm pretty sure you had that many times with kids of like, they don't have, you know, another home or another family they can go into and just live their best lives. And I could just take the, you know, the, the past, the hall pass and, you know, figure it out later. And so I think that stress, you know, in some ways carries with you, but I think um, it's one of those things that we, I think we do our best, especially now more than ever to deal or, you know, discuss those things or be honest with ourselves about those things. And we can call ourselves out. I know you're really good at that. And I am too of like, you know what? I haven't been taking care of myself. I haven't been feeling well and I should really stop or I should really stop and do something I need to do or I need to tell somebody, no, I can't help them with this. Like, I just can't do it. And so we 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 were pretty good at redirecting ourselves and kind of saying, you've fallen off. Let's go. Let's get, let's get right. So we don't have nobody calling us. Like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? You know, yeah. <laughs> you have to take care of yourself. I I can tell, you know, so I think, I think we've been pretty good about that now more than ever. And I definitely, um, I look up to you and I'm thankful that you can be honest with me. And I'm thankful that you're, you know, interacting with me on this space. Cause again, it was very last minute and I appreciate all your words of wisdom and sharing, you know, your life through your own eyes. Cause it's definitely added value and it's made an impact on me. You know, I think about you a lot and just how, you've been able to navigate the world. And I, I deeply appreciate just all that you've been able to show me and teach me and talk to me about, or just giving me the space to be in that space of like, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I think I want to do this. And, you know, where do I go from there? And, and being that that ally for me, it's, it's made a major, major difference in my life. Well, well, thank you for all the kind words. And you've given me an incentive to go back and start drafting my book. Yeah, yeah. So I have, I have, I have so many ideas for the book, and that's probably where my stumbling block is, is because I don't want, I don't know if I should focus on domestic violence because it, it transcends 
uh, socioeconomic, you know, um, mm -hmm. racial, it, anything, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, male, female, it, it, it just, you know, it, it happens. Mm -hmm. Or if I should sort of focus on um, being first, I, I was the first, um, actually, I was the, of my father's immediate family, I was the first person to graduate high school. Yeah, I'm the first in my family to graduate high school, my mom and my dad. Yeah, so it's like you know, and, and my parents went to, both went to eleventh grade, but they didn't. But my father graduated after. I mean, he was in his thirties when, almost forty, when he got his the GED. Wow. Yeah, wow. my my mother ne never did, and then mm -hmm. going on, you know, going on to you know, to, to college and things like that. And it's like, and so you and I have now. I'm the oldest living granddaughter. And I realize that I have all these other ones behind me looking mm -hmm. up to me and they'll call me and mm -hmm. ask me if I remember certain things, if I know this person or mm -hmm. whatever. One is the research that I've done actually on our heritage, but the fact that, you know, that there are people other than my immediate children who look up to me in you know, certain ways. So you give me an incentive and I appreciate that. You know, maybe uh, every now and we all need a little kick, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. I love well, you. I love you too. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.